Good evening, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Jet Blast. This makes 11. Um, we've made it past double digits, and uh, we're here. And tonight we've got a real treat for you all. You get to learn about appraisals, which I'm sure you're just dying to know about all the finance things that run our industry. But I think it's really important for maintenance folks to know the impact they have on the value of the airplanes, um, both perceived and actual. And so we're joined by uh, Cameron Tipton from Flight Level Partners. She's going to talk to us about that tonight. But before we talk to Cameron, Lee, what's up? Oh, just keeping busy. Been spending a little bit of time learning more about Cameron and his company, Flight Level Partners. Um, I have to admit, the more I look, the more questions I have for him. Sorry about that, Cameron. Um, <laughs> Nathan's just laugh laughing because he knows what kind of ridiculous kind of harebrained questions I can come up with. But no, really excited that you're here. Got to admit, like it that there's another Texan in here. So have to have to That's get a little right. shout out to Houston there, even Absolutely. though it's Houston. But glad you're here and looking forward to it. So thank you. Thank you very much for being part of this. Really, really looking forward to what you have to share. Really excited to be here. So Andy, I see Andy. you're out in the, the woods today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, I've been uh, trying to get my grass mode before I had to jump on the podcast before Lindsay comes home and slays my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> because you were uh, supposed to do it earlier, weren't you? <laughs> probably. Probably hot. You know, like when it's 80 degrees up here, it's too hot for people in Michigan. Oh, my God. Oh, poor 80 baby. 80 degrees. Yeah. It won't be 80 degrees at midnight at BFW tonight. <laughs> no, it won't. No, it won't. Oh, my. Crazy. Nope. Excited to be here, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what Cameron has to say and learning some more stuff. So, let's get yeah. it out. And you know what? You may learn ways that appraisers could use your site to help them get some numbers sometime, too. That so. would be great. Yeah, you never know. So Cameron, um, you want to tell everybody kind of a little bit about you and what your background is and how you found your way to appraise an airplane? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I kind of have the you know, the, the typical lifelong aviation enthusiast, grew up looking up at the sky. Um, really, the condensed version of this is, is my best bud in college, uh, Corey DeWitt and I, uh, we, we worked for a small leasing company almost right out of college uh, and, and fell in love with the brokerage process, which we were exposed to pretty early on. Um, and we became kind of fixated on growing a data focused approach to the brokerage process. It was really heavy on the acquisition right. side. Uh, and we never really thought there was enough uh, data and true metrics brought into that space. Uh, especially mm -hmm. people that didn't know necessarily anything about aviation. So these are like truly first time buyers or not pilots. I want an airplane, but I literally have no idea. And the kind of off the cuff shooting for us just didn't feel right. So we really focused on building out a process uh, that focused really heavily on incorporating just math into, into the flow of that from really heavy consulting to the Can you guys do COVID numbers too? <laughs> anyway, <sorry. laughs> no, no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> sorry. Anyway, I didn't mean to derail you. you said math. Uh, we only do, we do fuzzy math, right? Right, Teams right. Yeah, term. it's blurred, right? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so from there, um, we kind of started looking at uh, the appraisal space and became really fascinated by that um, and really uh, went kind of feet first and got the accreditation, which is where uh, I met you, Nathan, uh, at Embry-Riddle, yep. going through the American Society of Appraisers coursework there. Um, and to be honest, what was initially going to be a value add to our, our brokerage customers has become our core competency. So that now accounts for about 99% of what we do on day-to-day -day, uh, is exclusively valuations. So uh, that's, that's pretty much how we got to where we are now and uh and really that's that's what consumes us and we love it yeah awesome no, awesome I, so, go ahead i know you no, guys both got questions no i do well I did, you just kind of dovetail off of what camera was talking about you know i love the fact that it says empowering bus the business of flight through data and consulting um one of the things that i i i was talking yesterday and the other day, I, what was it? Um, aircraft intelligence equals business intelligence. So when you're looking at your data and you're looking at what what is it about the data, whether you're looking at paper, you can't steal it, I already trademarked it. 
It's already done, Nathan. Crap. I'm filling it out right now. I said it first. It's public knowledge. Anyway, <laughs> I have witnesses. Copyright. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright. Dang it. Anyway, but it's but but it's that I think you're so spot on because there's so I I'm I'm big on getting away from the anecdotal and what do the numbers say? Right. You know, and especially with something with aviation, there's such an emotion behind it. You know, mm. there's the emotion of flight. There's the there's the, um, I'm going to own an airplane now, regardless of the size. And now I have this ability to do things I may have never thought of before. So there's so much emotion, but mm -hmm. how do you get through that to the reality of what's happening? So I love this concept of what you're doing with really being able to take the data behind it and couple that with the emotion to make sure you're making the right decision. So this is what I've gotten out of your website so far, Cameron. So <laughs> we're good. So the good website, I guess, if I'm on. Thank you, thank you. Okay. So if I'm, yeah. So if I'm on the right page, that's a good website. Um, but no, I, I love, I love that concept, especially when you're able to, like we said, couple the data with the experience of yeah. owning an aircraft, owning and operating your own aircraft. So yeah. I, re I really like yeah. the concept of where you're going. Well, and that was for us so early on, it was, you know, I, I want to say like in the most PC way possible, but it, it was just alarming to us that we saw, uh, you know, ex clients or something of the leasing company and they would go kind of through the process and they would be blindsided, you know, a dozen times from, from initial consultation to acquisition because yeah. they never were openly informed about, you know, any aspect that of the process and they didn't know it's not their fault. Right. I mean, these are right. people, they're total lay people. They, they don't have the knowledge. Uh, and that's what you're expecting. It's our fault. <laughs> Quite sure. honestly, I mean, it's, it's our industry's it's, fault. It, it's, it's just people not meeting them where they're at. And so it was really building a process for like, you know, I, we wanted to build a bridge for people to get into aviation. And we thought, you know, even for people that were uh, completely financially equipped to do so, the hurdle of just getting through concept to delivery was too high. And so right. really sitting down with somebody and saying, you know, they truly, I mean, and I'm not being funny, like people don't know if they want a, a Lear 45 or if they want a, a Cirrus, right? I have that exact problem with a client right now. He's, he doesn't know one day he's on a Hawker, next day he's on a King Air, and next day he's wanting to look at a Falcon 50. It's like, sure. bro. <laughs> Let's look at the data behind this decision. You know, yeah, what, exactly. what is it, what does it mean? Because they're not all, they're not all the same. Right. Right. Let's bring emotionless math into this equation. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, exactly. No, I think that's, I think that's a great point. I like, and you know, that understanding that decision point, because, you know, one of the things that I look at, you know, Nathan was talking about what does this mean for the maintainers and, you know, talking a lot about it, you know, your biggest, one of your biggest um, spends in a flight department is going to be your maintenance. Your maintenance spend is one of your mm -hmm. highest spends. And so when you're looking at that and understanding that you are the keeper of this, but it's also not only the keeper of the spend, but the keeper of the value. Sure. And so mm -hmm. how are you? It's also the greatest value risk, I will tell you. So will Cameron, I think. Yeah. Um, the, the maintenance piece. So how, so, you know, what, how important is that? And, you know, to be proactive in that approach and, right. you know, you want to be proactive because you don't want to get blindsided at the end, not only as a no. customer, but also as a, right. like a seller. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, that's I mean, exactly right. So, so Cameron, what, what do you, most of y'all's appraisals, what are they for? What's, what's the purpose for them typically? Do you have like one sort of niche that you guys are in or is it, you know, more legal proceedings tax or just people trying to figure out what they've got? So it's, it's by and large is, is financing. Uh, that's kind of the space mm -hmm. that we went after early on and that's continued to be our, our niche. Uh, but I mean, mm -hmm. the gamut that you just described, we, we've also played in. So uh, there's certainly uh, a lot of appraisals being used in litigation uh, and, and property tax support and that sort of thing. Uh, it's very rarely, um, which I'm sure we'll unpack later, it's very rarely for just an individual consumer. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons mm. for that. But uh, the banks, I mean, that's, that is a daily task for us at this point. Hmm. Hmm. So... <clears throat> I mean, Andy, I know you're sitting over there, just <laughs> your wheels are spinning because I can see them from here. <laughs> but, so um, kind of what are you, what are you, some of your thoughts, Andy? I mean, where, where do you, what questions do you have? Because you're kind of coming into this from the outside as well, likely. Um, and I know we've talked about it a bunch, but what questions do you have for Cameron? Well, I think that, you know, for, 
uh, knowing, you know, some of my family members that think their stuff is worth gold. (laughs) (laughs) Some corporate aircraft operators, you know, that, oh, I'm going to upgrade these avionics and you know like they pretend they're going to get 80 or 90 percent return on it and you know, like, how, do you, how do you deal with that i mean for your job i i do not envy at all how do you deal with that hard like uh how do you say it the hard two by four to the side of the head like yeah it's not yeah. it's not what you thought and you know how do you deal with that emotion of that of mm. you know well this is my baby in my plane and yeah i know but yeah. it's it's just not worth what you think <laughs> So it's, you get paid up front. <laughs> that's number one. Yes. Uh, number one of being an appraiser. Yeah. Get it's, paid at engagement. It is. That's truly a, that's a great question. Um, and it comes up a ton. Uh, I mean, there's, there's kind of two different approaches I'll take here. So the first one is the average consumer that we're dealing with, client that we're, we're dealing with is a banker, let's say. Yeah. The banker could not care less. They are emotionally detached. They are in risk mitigation work, right? So at the end of the day, right. If they have to turn around, which just happens again, weekly basis, if they have to turn around and say, well, it's the appraiser's fault. You know, I know how much the plane's worth, but this is the valuation. Then they more power to them uh, to do that because, you know, we're coming from a completely impartial third party view, right? That's why you have an appraiser in the first place. Um, now to the point you're talking about, um, and this, this, we deal with this pretty often, uh, occasionally the clients are so upset uh, with the bank <laughs> that they yeah. the bank will allow us uh, a little pass through and the client will call and they're upset. Um, and you know, a lot of times the conversation is really breaking down the individual, uh, value determinants that that led up to where we were you know and oftentimes right. i would say more often than not people are very reasonable once you kind of give them the the xyz and that it's just not the way you think and here's the exact mathematical reason why and it's very hard to argue with that you know when i can show you a spreadsheet and we were we've been able to tease out individual avionics components you know let's say we're tracking this type of aircraft over time we see that these types of upgrades typically yield this kind of return Right. And so right. we're back into that number that way. And it's, it's very hard to turn around and argue from an emotional standpoint in that uh, it's going to happen. It'll, it happens a lot. And sometimes, you know, it's, these are issues that are very challenging for the customer. Um, an example would be uh, we've had a number of appraisals where they are coming up to a major life event on the aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, that event is going to drastically outweigh the whole value of the aircraft, regardless of the upgrade taking place. Right. right? So these are engines that are only on one particular type of aircraft. They're completely obsolete. The aircraft's completely obsolete. Overhauling them for one and a half million dollars will get you not one more penny on the airframe and it needs to be retired. Despite the fact that you still have this asset that is on if I pulled a number out of the air, it's maybe it's worth $400,000. It's worth $200,000, but you, you got to have buyers and ultimately you may not be worth just right, if there's no market, <laughs> if no there's market. no market, there's no market. So it's hard. Yeah. Um, so I, and, and I think a lot of times too, Cameron, don't you guys um, do a lot of educating your clients too, right? Because I think, uh, I think what happens more often than not is, is brokers, um, generically, because I think several of us played at it on, in our um, moonlighting gigs, but generically, um, the good ones will admit to you that they sugarcoat it a little bit, right? And, and, and because their motive's different, right? And I think a lot of times when these folks um, come to the table and, and have somebody like Cameron give them a little bit of an education on where the market's really at and where airplanes are actually transacting at, and kind of where the industry trends are going and, you know, like, uh, you know, just to pick on a particular airplane, a G4, classic G4, to his point, if it's nearing a 15,000 hour or 15,000 landing inspection and the engines aren't on a plan and they're about to come due, the only thing worth anything on there are the wheels and APU. Right. That's it. That's it. There's nothing else left. I mean, right. unless you want to make a camper out of a fuselage, there's just really, it's, it's just unfortunate, but it's a hard reality. It is. Hmm. 
Well, so, so when you're talking about your valuations and you like, I think the G4 is a great example. And some of these, you know, it's when you, when they, somebody comes to you and they're looking at one of these big life events, you know, um, whatever, whatever it may be, or even with the ADSB, you know, with the ADSB mm -hmm. mandate, you know, something along those lines. So do you ever like help people make the decision? Um, do I keep it an upgrade or do I evaluate it to part it out? I mean, cause no, that's a great question. That's, I mean, do you help with that valuation? Yeah, no, we, we have in the past. Um, you know, that's, we, we've had it. In fact, Nathan and I have chatted about a few of these off mic about yeah. uh, these, I had, a, had a G2SP, uh, uh, I think now probably <laughs> about a year ago, that yeah. um, they truly had no idea what to do with the thing. It had been parked for uh, a very long period of time. And they were looking at, I mean, they thought they were gonna take it to the open market and sell it in a week. No. And so talking <laughs> through, um, you know, and some of this would fall under, under consulting, right? You know, we're providing sure. analysis and, and just uh, data crunching to, to reach these types of conclusions. It's not always a, a cut and dry appraisal because that wouldn't be very mm -hmm. helpful right. in that circumstance. But I mean, in short, absolutely. Um, you know, that's, that's a lot of kind of just that the, the data crunching techniques and expertise, uh, you know, are very applicable in, in all those types of events. Um, and I'm actually seeing more and more of that now. I mean, that, of course, was on the cusp of ADSB, uh, but it, it's continued to be, I think, just as people are becoming much more cognizant of their operating expenses, you know, these corporate flight departments, and they're just looking at the stuff going and trying to plan more. I don't know if anyone else would be able to speak to that, but I, it seems to be there's a more Kind of widely adopted i want to have at least an idea of like where is going to be the economic point in this life and what am i going to do then yeah well you have to be aware of the life cycle planning, planning. Yeah. i mean if you're not doing life cycle planning on your aircraft whether it's a fleet or a single aircraft doesn't matter what the aircraft is you know you sure. reach a certain point that you have to start making these decisions and they need to be database data-based decisions I right. mean that's mm -hmm. and that's part of being a proactive flight department you know I that's something you know that's comes up um, comes up a lot is are you are you getting the data you need you know we've talked Nathan and I've talked before about you know how often do you get your records look at looked at don't wait until it's mm -hmm. right before your time to sell you know right. look at or that as you're going valued. through or <laughs> get it valued you know because wow um, you know you, <laughs> you might be hit with some big surprises there right. um, so, but I'm, but you know, I, I like that approach, you know, it's something that you should be always be cognizant of as you're going through the life cycle planning, especially some of the older aircraft, you know, Absolutely. you can pay on a newer one, but an older aircraft. And I, like, think, I think for the classic corporate flight department, like the one that I used to manage, you know, we used to go to a broker to get valuations. That was part of one of my many job responsibilities. And that's where I first got interested in appraising airplanes was we, I was told on an annual basis to go to our broker and, and have an analysis done on our fleet and pick the value. And, and in reality, what the broker, that broker was doing was using Blue Book and VREP and kind of picking the middle and saying, hey, we think the industry is trading it close to wholesale this year. So here you go. Here's yeah. what we think each of, each of the four assets are worth. And I would in turn give that to our finance and tax department and they were adjusting book depreciations based on that, right? Rather than doing a straight line method. So I think, you know, one of the things I wish I had known then that I know now is I would have hired a guy like Cameron every year to just do our fleet, right? And, and then I would pass that certified appraisal report with no biases, right? Because, I mean, you have to wonder, um, and, and not in this particular case, in, in our case, but in other cases, somebody could have the question like we talked about way back in the beginning on our ethics episode our first one somebody could have the perception that wait a minute whose interest is being served by this particular yeah. um, value conclusion right so i think it's why it's important um, to have that uh, unbiased third-party certified appraiser do these valuation products well, irrespective of the reason okay so that's a great point right there so when you just talked about a certified appraiser I mean, this, mm -hmm. that is, there's some, but there's not a lot. So Cameron, Nathan, can just explain a little bit about what a certified appraiser is? That's and Cameron's what it, job. He's that's Cameron's job. Appraiser. I know. I saw, I, he, I saw his fancy. He's like super fancy. Nathan's just yeah. a little fancy. He's only bow tie fancy. 
Um, but, I'm, I'm uh, trying to live up to Nathan's uh, it, immense, <laughs> immense, trying to fill his shoes, you know, and okay. it's a big shoes to fill. Okay, next next yeah. Put, yeah, next podcast though, Nathan. I mean, Cameron, you're gonna have to have a podcast. I mean, a podcast, a bow tie. Good lord, <laughs> I can't even talk. I know what uh, you mean. You, you're trying to force him to wear a bow tie, and and he'll do it. I mean, Cameron is. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. yeah I, want Nate, I want Andy in a bow tie too. I'll wear one. We can all do that for our next po for our next podcast. But no, seriously right. though, what does it mean? <laughs> uh, this, um, I you know, I was. John and Nathan were going through the process a, a while back and you know I, we talked as they were going through it understanding not only what the courses meant but you know what does this certification mean and why is it even important especially in aviation because I know it right. encompasses a lot of different industries. Yeah so there's there's a few places uh, or a few things we can unpack here so at the very high level uh, you're right there is a very small number of people that are accredited appraisers for aircraft. Um, I'll, I'll hit a couple points here because there used to be a lot more. Um, so mm -hmm. there was an organization um, that's actually totally gone now uh, that I think you're, you're familiar with, Nathan, called the NAAA. I was uh, accredited in AAA appraiser. And that organization is now uh, gone. And I think there are some remnants left, but I don't know how uh, much of an impact it's had on the industry. And I, I truly don't. Um, yeah, I don't see much of it. So they had... I think hundreds of people that had the the certification uh, from them, um, and then there was the American Society of Appraisers, and the ASA um, is one of the largest appraisal organizations in the world. Um, it mm -hmm. encompasses all disciplines, so from anything real property, you know, your typical real estate appraisers, through uh, gyms and um, uh, business valuations, uh, all that falls under the ASA. So the ASA is a nonprofit that's recognized by Congress. Uh, they were one of the founding members of the standards that we are required to adhere to in Canada, the United States, Mexico, um, blah, blah, blah. So mm -hmm. to become a, an appraiser with the ASA, uh, specifically an aircraft, uh, today they are in conjunction with Embry-Riddle to provide the actual education coursework. There's 120 hours of uh, in-person, uh, or I think currently, Zoom meetings uh, that yeah. are. I, I would, by the way, I, I want to, yeah, we got to go back and address that with those. <laughs> we'll come back to that one. So uh, yeah. I'm with you. Uh, but <laughs> so you go through these 120 hours in person with Ember Riddle. It's taught in conjunction with ASA instructors and also uh, industry professionals. Uh, and you actually go through, take a test at each. Uh, segment and then an, an exit exam. You take an ethics exam with the ASA and then you submit a appraisal report uh, for a review by a board of examiners. Um, and then uh, after all that, you can get the kind of the gold seal. You're an accredited appraiser. Um, and that is before you begin any of this process, you have to have a, a like line by line item of, of, I can't even remember the amount of hours appraising aircraft in some capacity prior to, to getting the credential. Um, so, and then from there, uh, you need to, to conform to the rules and, and ethics compliance uh, issues that are specific to the organization, uh, as well as uh, continually every two years, take a, a course called Uniform Standards of Professional Appraisal Practice. Hmm. UTPAP is the fun, the fun way to say it. Um, <laughs> and that encompasses, again, all disciplines, and that is the you know, I'll say, quote, unquote, the law. So right. in the United States, I must comply with this. I must certify the appraisal report to comply with this. Uh, and it spells out the development and reporting standards for, for all appraisals. Um, so of, after all that, there's actually only like 70 some odd aircraft appraisers with the ASA. Oh, wow. It's a very yeah, small correct. number. Um, and so to your point, yeah, is there more work than there are appraisers? And I think that is probably a resounding yes. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think to go back a little bit and touch on, you know, okay, well, there's, there's these brokers providing valuation reports, or they may call them something else. They might call them a market analysis, what have you, you mm -hmm. know, is there a time and place for that? And there absolutely is. Um, right. And yeah. there are times when those reports are, I mean, even in, in my opinion, 100% valid. Um, That's right. You know, 
even the, some of the stuff that Nathan's talking about, you know, a, a large fleet uh, operator or a mid-sized fleet operator, who, whatever it is, that may be a very legitimate way to go to get an idea, right? Mm -hmm. If it's not real critical to finance, uh, tax, legal, I mean, that's a way, way less expensive approach to use uh, to, a, to arrive at something that might be within the ballpark. You know, that goes back to our right. reps and our blue books. Uh, there's a time and a place for that. So, yep. Um, Pricing guides have a place. There's no sure, doubt. they absolutely do. So, I think that was a really long roundabout answer to your question, Lee, of you know, kind of what it means to become an accredited uh, accredited member or or senior member of the ASA. Um, so, it, it is a limited pool um, of people. Um, in fact, I think Nathan could attest to this. The majority of people <laughs> in our cohort did not go and become appraisers. Uh, That's absolutely right. Large groups of people from Delta and Southwest Airlines that are in property tax, and they want to be able to more appropriately defend the valuations that they're internally providing. They have no intention yep. of getting the accreditation. Right. I would say, if I was throwing a number out, I would say 20% of the people got the designation. Maybe even less. Yeah. No. Well, you know, one of the things you talked about is like you, you have your continuing education requirements, you have the certifications. I mean, there was a lot that you went through to get this and to keep yeah. it. And so, you know, ethics has been huge um, over the last, well, it's always been a big deal, but it's all been kind of brought to the forefront and BAA has their ethical standards, you know, some of the organizations, um, um, IATA, I don't know if I say yeah. it, you know, they have ethical statements, different things along those lines. Yeah. So is, as the responsibility of being certified, does that also mean that there's recourse? I mean, against somebody who yes. is certified? Yes. Yes. So what happens is if a guy like Nathan goes and writes an appraisal and grossly misrepresents the value, um, hopefully it's not in a IRS-based thing or a donative <laughs> property thing or an estate settlement, because if it is, then I, as appraiser, am liable over and above the delta of the difference um, gotcha. personally, um, legally, because I have to sign that return or forms that support the, the, the return. Um, but the other part, to, to get more direct to it, so if, if you're not following the use path um, ethics statement and you are in a situation where your valuation's challenged and you get a review appraiser, on the stand and they look and they see clearly that you certified because you have to, to, to certify a report that you certified, you did it in compliance with USPAP, but you did unethical things and automatically your report is thrown out, right? But the other thing is ASA, American Society of Appraisers, also has an ethics statement. I'm looking up on my bookshelf to see where I put my book. I just Cameron and I have both been waiting for like ever between COVID and printing problems and everything else. They have a manual for machinery and uh, machinery discipline that includes aviation. That's about an inch and a half thick and it hasn't been reproduced since I think 2009 or 11. Anyway, we just got our most recent one and in it, uh, in the report writing section, there was something in there that jumped out at me that was different and it talked about making sure that you certify in reference to the ASA ethics statement. And I hadn't been doing that prior to my most recent appraisal report. But anyway, it's just, yeah, there's things in there and it, and it keeps evolving. And we do have several sets of rules um, that, that uh, continue to evolve, just like the aviation, rest of aviation rules. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the differences between brokers, dealers, appraisers whether certified or un uncertified i mean it's there's just such a wide wide variety um over <laughs> between that as well as even geography i mean you can go different places mm -hmm. and you kind of have a standard in different geographical locations different things like that so that's right i think i think having something where there is a there's recourse and um liability i guess in a way mm -hmm. You know, that kind of just that adds a stamp to that professionalism in my mind. So, I mean, that's that's nice to know that there is something um, if you had a certified appraiser to complement what it takes to actually um, acquire an aircraft, value an aircraft, go along those different lines. So that that's nice to hear. I wasn't sure about that yeah. one. Well, and, and kind of back to our, our thing we'll keep pulling up, which is so someone goes and writes this appraisal and I'll, I'll pick on the the one page wonders, what we like to call them. This is a. <laughs> yep. This is the serial number. This is the end number. It's one and a half million dollars. And I mean, that, <laughs> these literally get tossed around every 
day. And yep. um, the challenge here is to, again, to a person that maybe doesn't have the total knowledge, let's, let's say, you know, this is an attorney who's representing a, a, a guy that um, maybe he's represented for a long time in other capacities, but he doesn't necessarily know aviation. So he calls, he calls a, a broker and the guy throws him this appraisal report. So this thing gets pulled into litigation and opposing counsel has me come in as a reviewer. It's not going to take me 30 seconds in my review report to say, okay, the guy's not conforming to the, the mandatory standard. He's not accredited with any organization. Mm -hmm. The value has no logical conclusion and it's going to be tossed out by not meeting the minimum criteria for technical evidence. So that's, it's a fairly simple equation. So even to people that are accredited that, uh, you know, that if something is being misrepresented, the most common way that that comes to light is that there is that someone along the chain of the receiving end calls into question and goes and gets a reviewer uh, or someone internal thoughts that there are things that are not in compliance with with USPAP. Um, and that's when they're going to go for typically for some recourse, as we've talked about, which that is a a huge insurance policy for any time that I sign my name at the bottom of a report is that I do have uh, an immense amount of liability uh, and a responsibility right. to do the correct thing because it's my entire credential and, and, and professional uh, trajectory is at risk. Yeah. So as right. opposed to on the other eye, on the other side where, I mean, what, I, what's going to happen? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's kind of like your broker AP. got it wrong. It's like, okay, well, I'll just go sell another airplane, right? I mean, it's it's, it's not the core business, right? So right. It, I think it's and and we also have uh, Cameron. Don't don't we have um, like an internal process? Um, I'm kind of foggy on this, but an internal process where um, if, if if one uh, suspects a fellow appraiser of being running afoul of the standards or whatever isn't there an internal peer review process that that happens with appraisers too so it's yeah. sort of a self-policing thing yeah. as well yeah absolutely there's there's uh, a variety of boards that uh, that do enforce ethics at the at the uh, national or international level so yeah that's right. that's fairly commonplace as well uh, but that that would be across all disciplines right so Cameron, I have a really close friend of mine who's in real estate. He's a broker. And <clears throat> he said his biggest fight, he's very MRO insider-ish, which so means he's very transparent. He doesn't like to tell people crap that he can't back up. Mm -hmm. and, and so people will ask him, he'll come out and look at their house. If he's, you know, they're looking for a listing agent and they're like, well, what do you think it's worth? And say, I have no idea. It's, you know, that's for an appraiser to do. It's, you know, I'm not going to tell you the wrong thing and I'm not going to tell you that it's worth $800,000 when it's worth 600 so I can get the listing because yeah, that's, that's what every right. other agent is going to come out here from all the big, you know, the big ones, Keller Williams and all right. that. They're going to come out and they're going to tell you what they think, but all they are is a salesman and they're going to tell you what you want to hear. So they get the listing and that's it. And I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. You need to have a, you know, you need to have an appraiser come out and look at it. Cause it's, it's not my job. Yeah. You know, so I mean, yeah. do you ever run into that or do you ever, I mean, is that something that people should be doing? I mean, to me, it seems like you should almost demand it. It's a, you know, I, I'm not going to listen to what a broker tells me if I'm looking to buy an airplane or sell an airplane, you know, I need somebody that's a third party. Yeah, no, it's a, that's a very fair point. So yes, we run into it. Um, and on the second part, which is the, do you use a, an appraiser or a dealer? I, I, that's a very big, it depends. Um, so to kind of unpack the, it's always the appraiser answer, by the way, is it depends, <laughs> which is kind of to your first point, you know, which is let's, let me kind of try to play, um, a scenario that happens with us since we do uh, walk in the brokerage space. Um, we have to be very, very cognizant of what hat we're wearing and to be very transparent with our mm. clients. Uh, when we're dealing in a brokerage capacity that I am using a different lens than I am with my appraiser hat. Um, and to that end, since we do uh, so much in the evaluation space, uh, we've almost completely eliminated all of our uh, aircraft sales endeavors. Uh, it's almost exclusively mm. acquisition because there is very little room for it in terms of, you know, where you could cross the wrong paths. Mm -hmm. The acquisition yeah. side is very cut and dry. I'm using, because if I don't come to the correct conclusion uh, of, you know, where I think the airplane should sit, we're not going to acquire that airplane. 
because I, you know, think mm -hmm. that for whatever reason is not a good purchase, right? Um, but on the sales side, it's it's it is very uh, it's difficult to kind of tread that. And people, yeah, when when a client comes yeah. and says, "I want you to sell this airplane," it you know. I am not going to write an appraisal report because it's a conflict of interest, right? I cannot right. provide an appraisal report. Um, but I am an appraiser and I can't not be an appraiser for the 30 minutes I'm working on, on kind of a market comp analysis for this person. So mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a, a, an interesting dynamic there. So we kind of stray away from that entirely, except for kind of old clients and stuff that, you know, that we have that relationship to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to listing an airplane, I almost will always, if we get a call and, and Lee is ready to sell her fully outfitted Phenom 300 and she gives us a call and says, hey, nice. you know, I'm interested in, in listing this airplane, where should I list it at? I am almost always going to say, you need to call this dealer. And here's mm -hmm. why. Because if I go and I charge her to write this appraisal report and I go through this whole process and I come up with a fair market value or even an asking price, because we can certainly do that, the broker that's going to list the airplane is going to turn around and say, nope. Right. Or yep. they could, right? Every, and and uh, what's the point? Because I'm going to put you with a reputable dealer. I'm going to refer you almost 9.9 out of 10 times and say, these guys I trust to do the valuation correctly from, from their perspective on the asking prices and they're, that's part of their scope. Um, but to that end, that is why it's so critical to use brokers and dealers that are very well educated and, and use internal processes or are parts of organizations that hold them to a higher standard. Because certainly, uh, talk about the wild, wild west, you know, mm -hmm. that, that is uh, a very wide open space uh, that uh, is kind of ripe for uh, those types of issues of people not knowing uh, really how to properly price things. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. it, it's very important uh, to us when we do those kind of referrals that we're putting people in the hands of, of brokers and dealers that have a very thorough process. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's just that's the space that they're playing in and they're gonna price things according to what they feel is correct and that may differ from where I am. And so to your buddy that's in real sure. estate, he runs into that every single day, whether you know he, he's wearing both hats, but whether there's appraisers and the realtor sometimes are on totally different ends of the planet. For sure. Where they think pricing should be. Yeah, I, I had the conversation, Cameron, in support of what you're saying in, in a real world example, I had a conversation with a broker a couple of years ago over an airplane that had some hail damage to it at one point, mm -hmm. right? And it was a large cabin turbine airplane. Um, and um, the, the airplane had encountered hail, um, diverted um, to an OEM factory service center, um, landed there so it was never, never even ferried. Um, all the parts were replaced with factory new parts. There were no EOs, there were no oversized and fasteners there were no uh there was no 337 generated for this work and i'm talking some big skin panels on this airplane i got to see some photos of it and i had this argument um on behalf of a client right and and, and i didn't write an appraisal but i was just asked to weigh in i had this argument on whether or not that affected the value of the airplane um, and diminution of value is always tricky and there's, it's, it's not a perfect science, but in this particular circumstance and set of facts and circumstances, it had been five or six years. It was repaired by the OEM at their factory facility with all new OEM parts, um, with no special inspections or anything. And so when I was asked the question, what do you think the impact on value is? And I said, none. And the broker's freaking out, right? Oh yeah, there is. I mean, we're gonna get a lower offer. Well, you may be, that's a liquidity problem. And that's your inability to market and sell. That's not, if, if a banker asks me what's it worth, I'm still gonna tell them the same number, irrespective of your marketing issue, right? <laughs> and they're just two different, and I think that's the other reason that certified appraisers should be brought into the conversation. It really depends on the question being asked on who should answer it, it right? And, and that's right. And that's where it depends. Now, there's other times where that value would have been impacted, right? I mean, if it had happened six months ago and it had been blasted all over the internet, like a certain airplane over in Europe that everybody's seen pictures of all over the internet, um, 
yeah, value is definitely impacted, even though they followed the same process that my client had followed. Right. Um, it was a much more public event. Right. And, and in that case, yeah, uh, I would have had to have said values impact. So Cameron, I got a good question for you. So you talked about, you know, the difference in the one page wonder in, in a product that you and Corey would generate at flight level partners. So one of the things that I think most people don't know is, is about substantiating that work. Not only should the layperson be able to pick up that report, read it, understand how you got there. Um, but there's also all this stuff behind the scenes, right? Supporting that report that you have to maintain this, this file of records, right? So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, you know, it's very spelled out in USPAP. You know, that, that part of it is very simple and straightforward for us as appraisers because there are a slew of, of pages at the very front of the book that say, here's your ethical obligations, here's your record keeping rule, here's where confidentiality begins and ends, yada, yada, yada. So uh, in, in our space, uh, as Nathan would attest to, if we are playing in any type of valuation, if someone's asking us to do it off the cuff, uh, quote unquote appraisal, you know, what's this thing worth? Mm -hmm. We are required by USPAP to produce a complete uh, uh, record, uh, what, what's called a work file in whatever form that might be, whether that's uh, in physical paper documents or on, online to substantiate uh, our claims. And uh, it boils down to making a logical flow of information. Uh, Nathan and I may have very different uh, methods at arriving at the same value conclusion. Um, or, and a different number. Or, or different numbers entirely. Um, that may be, uh, in, in both aspects, totally legitimate. Uh, but the, the back end uh, of a flow of logical facts must be there uh, if we are providing any type of valuation service, period, end of story. Um, and right. that is, that's huge. And that's, that's for a lot of reasons. That's uh, to keep us honest. And that's if in the future, there's ever a question of uh, the legitimacy of a report uh, by the intended user of that report, then we can go back and we have complete records to, to back us up. Um, you know, right. uh, let's go back to 2007 and reports being written in 2007 and 2009 comes around and we're saying, hey, you know, what's going on here? Well, all my data supporting that conclusion in 2007 would still be readily apparent and that, that flow of information would be there. Right. Hmm. Right. What's right. about so, the transparency? You know, I... Well, right. And it's also for on the appraiser side and for your clients, to be quite honestly, um, it's in their best interest. It's for their protection that you have a work file. And that's really uh, my personal belief is why ASA uh, and USPAP drive you to have that work file, right? Is is again, a one page wonder that somebody grabbed a number of $1.5 million out of the air and just threw it down on their letterhead. And it looks pretty, but what does it really mean? Was there, and, and you know, I, I think um, what I've seen so far is um, I've been asked to read, not in the capacity that Cameron does, but proofread an appraisal for a peer appraiser, right? And vice versa, I've asked for that same help. And, and oftentimes be like, um, well, man, I, are you sure about your number? <laughs> and then it really doesn't matter, you know, but, but at first that was the, the logic. And, and then you, you start to understand and you learn that's really irrelevant, right? Is, is the logic that went into it, is it articulated in the report? And is it, is it a reasonable way to arrive at an opinion of value, irrespective of what it is? I mean, you could think that bag of Tostitos you could arrive at an opinion of value of $150, right? But as long as you had a logical process that's repeatable, well, then, okay. Because <laughs> that's it, what's getting contested, not the number. Because right. the number is an opinion. It's subjective. It's because it's not subjective. It is just right. a, a difference of opinion on how we arrive at that conclusion. Because right. there's a million ways to look at a particular uh, uh, asset, you know, and sometimes we're right. taking entirely different approaches to value. Maybe this is something that generates revenue uh, far beyond what the uh, actual raw, uh, you know, comparable analysis would bring us to. You know, this thing would sell for this, but it's generating an insane amount of money for this company in this capacity. Okay, so what's it worth? Right. right. And so two people may take two, 
two totally different approaches. So, okay. So Nathan Cameron, you two have two different backgrounds. I mean, Nathan comes yep. from maintenance side, kind of the technical aspect. And Cameron, I think I was reading your background. I mean, it's pilot, it's um, kind of the broker dealer. So when you're looking, so now you have two completely different perspectives on building this valuation. So mm. granted, you can come to the same, you can come to different conclusions, but just kind of on average, how far, how far away do you think some of those valuations are? Like, I mean, are y'all usually in the same mm. ballpark or is it something that is completely different? I, you know, I think we were trained in a way and I don't know, Cameron, you have to kick in here too, but I, th I think we were trained in a way through the four weeks that we had to slut down to Daytona beach and, and, um, oh, poor uh, baby. Zoom, yeah. um, and, and go to these <laughs> classes, but they were actually really good. Right. So, so what, I think what we've all learned and, and it's interesting that, that our cohorts kind of stuck together. Cameron talked about that. Um, um, the, those of us that are active appraisers out of that group still kind of stuck together. Right. And there's a little bit of a network going and, and note comparing, um, which I think is extremely healthy. And I, I think out of that, we all continue to evolve our process, right? So there's very stringent IRS guidance, for example. So if you're going to do a donative property appraisal um, or an estate settlement or a divorce or something along those lines, your, your reporting requirements and process are pretty stringent. Now, how you get to your opinion of value and do your comps and what you think is important is a you know, aft galley or forward galley worth more and, and how you arrive at that number, that, that's up to you as the appraiser, right? And what you think is in the market. But the, I guess the methods are, we're, we're pretty, I, I'd say the ones I've read, I don't know, Cameron, what you think, but the, the, the certified appraisers, I find that the methods are very, very similar. Yeah, no, I would totally agree. Um, I mean, the methodologies are fairly spelled out and you are uh, a little bit compelled to follow the ones that are basically codified because uh, those yeah. are the ones that are not going to get you in trouble. Hey, follow this, <laughs> this process uh, A through Z and you know, this, is, this will reach you to a, a reasonable value conclusion. Uh, I mean, honestly, you know, I think, it, I think it helps too, though. Well, I just... I. I I, so, Lee, to answer your question even more directly, so, yeah, I have more of a, and, and Cameron and I have done this, like, within the last week, right, up where I've called him up with a question, and he's called me, as he mentioned, with a G2. Absolutely. So, I think if there's something that falls more in, a, like, a technical vein, right, uh, of help me interpret this logbook entry, this set of maintenance records, um, this 337, right, or, or whatever that might be. That, that kind of thing, um, I, I have folks like Cameron and some others call me from time to time and call John from time to time and get a little bit of insight, right? And Absolutely. then vice versa, you know, I have a donative property thing or, or an estate thing or, or even just from an ASA standpoint, from a review appraiser standpoint, I've got something a little wonky. Like right now in COVID, I'm hypersensitive, right, about any valuation I write because I don't know what the magic number is, right? I right. mean, you, you'll hear, again, brokers and appraisers are different. You'll hear brokers say, oh, it's a very minimal tick in the market. And then you hear some appraisers <laughs> who are notoriously skyfalling appraisers, right? Um, who would tell you that, oh, there's this huge percentage drop in values and, and somewhere in the middle is probably right. But, um, you know, Cameron, you'll have to tell us before we sign off here in about 10 minutes, um, um, what that number is for COVID. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what is, what is that magic number, hey, Cameron? At the 11th minute, I'll do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, Nathan, that is 100% correct. Uh, he, Nathan's been my first call. If I, if there's a technical issue that I will openly not, you know, be the expert on, I'm calling Nathan to, to discuss that. And I think that to your point is a really good environment. I think that was set up very early on, kind of during the, even the education process, that this is not a closed or we're all disconnected space because it would be, it would truly be impossible to do the work that we do in that type of environment. There's so many very aircraft, nobody is an expert on every make model and year. You're just not going to be. Uh, it's unreasonable to think that you are. Uh, and so 
I, I think almost every assignment, I'm making at least a couple of phone calls to make sure that the data that I have maybe stored is, yep. is correct, or if my uh, if my thinking is in line, or you know, sometimes it's back to those brokers and saying, hey, like I'm kind of getting this is the type of airplane I'm dealing with, this is the number I'm coming up with. Does that seem reasonable to you? And yeah. right. so. I think that's a fairly common core throughout. Um, so, you know, I, I have no idea what um, you know, the, the, the average discrepancy would be from one appraiser to another. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, while it is a, a fairly vast uh, array of aircraft and uh, different makes and models around the world, it still is a fairly small pool. So oftentimes mm -hmm. we are using the same or similar data um, you know, especially if these are aircraft that are transacting, you know, there's 12 a year. Okay. Well, right. that there's the, yeah. the, the 75 of us that are doing this work are looking at the same things. Right. So I, yeah. I think, um, in an ideal world, it's probably fairly tight. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. And I, I think the other point on that, um, and, and then we'll, we'll, um, start to kind of wrap here. And so the other point on that about appraisals that y'all should know is they're only good the minute that Cameron signs them. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they're no good. They aren't good any time before it. He disclaims in his report, as we all do, that a minute before he signed it and a minute after he signed it, the number's no good. If you think about, you know, on September the 10th <laughs> of 2001, when people were out valuing United Airlines, um, and, and Cameron and I know someone who was actually doing that in the process of writing after a three month long stint of valuing United Airlines as a whole, um, wakes up on the morning of the 11th, ready to send his report and you know, w what happens, right? So right. the, I, I, that's why it's so important to know that yeah, Cameron's value may be different, but it could be a different day, right? It could be a different, he could have a different set of data. He could have some proprietary sales numbers because, you know, that's the one thing about aviation that makes it challenging as opposed to marine, um, real estate, and, and um, you know, art's kind of like aviation too. You really don't know what the value is. There's no required reporting, right? Mm -hmm. So there's um, I, I think I mentioned before we started recording, I, I, you know, I sometimes question the numbers that a broker will tell me that they sold an airplane for, especially when I look at their website and see they have two more in inventory. <laughs> I'm really curious because they're trying to drive the market up, right? I mean, uh, so anyway, well, at least it's perceived. I perceive they're trying to drive. Them yeah, up. sure. So, um, so I think that's, that's important. So Cameron, what is the magic COVID number? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> well said. You know, uh, well, obviously no, we're dealing with I, this. Don't say it. No, no, no. I, I want to. I well, we should unpack it just a little bit. Uh, it's yeah. this is a. Uh, it's challenging, you know. And and Nathan would speak to this too. This is a really complicated time to be an appraiser, yeah. uh, especially in the environment we're in, where there's such reduced liquidity. And so I'm looking at data now that is six months old and mm. it has no bearing on what it is today. I, right now, um, I, I'm working on a particular aircraft that um, there has been virtually no liquidity. Uh, I have the purchase agreement on, on the aircraft that we're evaluating. This is for financing. And if I use pre-COVID numbers, I am so far away <laughs> yeah. from, you know, and, and so, Every market's different though. Um, I mean, certain Absolutely. certain things, uh, as with every uh, economic event we've had, are almost entirely unaffected. Um, mm -hmm. And then there are other markets that are typically hard markets. It's the same ones that are typically challenged uh, every single time we have uh, economic issues. Yeah. And large airplanes are, yeah, large airplanes seem to really be struggling right now, right. At, at least I, in my view, personally. Agreed. I wouldn't put a number to it. They just seem to be really struggling. Right. Yeah. Hmm. It depends. It depends. <laughs> that it could depends. be the title of this podcast. It depends in appraiser's perspective. It depends. <laughs> and I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to write that. That's your title. That's he has That's to come up sweet. with the title after we finish this each time. Yeah, well, I know we're getting blurb. close to, we're getting close to the end, yeah. but um, one of the things that I want to bring up and, you know, we were talking earlier, Andy and MRO insider, I think he's up to 200 trees 
that he and that they've uh, they've uh, committed to um, planting up in the Michigan wilderness or somewhere up there. I don't know, Canada, the Arctic, somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> it's all the um, same. It's all the same. I don't know. He was complaining about his 80 degree weather, Cameron. I don't think that's very funny or anything it's, to complain about. It's not funny at all. No, it's not funny at all. Um, but no, you know, there's a, there's a social consciousness that kind of comes to what we're doing now. And, you know, MRO Insider, you know, they're doing their part kind of to help offset that carbon footprint, doing different things. And then, you know, I was noticing on your site, y'all have a, y'all have a pledge where you give 5% of your profits back to different charitable organizations. And so just a little bit, you know, what, what, in, what inspires you to do that? And um, what are a couple of the organizations that you support? Yeah. I mean, really that's born out of just a, a pure drive to give back to the community that we're a part of. Uh, and that's, that's both in aviation, but as well as our, our local, everyone's favorite Houston community. Uh, and so, I mean, to us, that's just a non-starter. I mean, that's to, uh, in our perspective, it is really, um, what's it all for? I mean, I, I mean that sincerely, you know, what's right. it all for? Yeah. It's not to kind of like better the place that we're in and, and leave it uh, better for, for coming generations. So uh, we, Kind of really started uh, that in fervor uh, after the last Harvey of mm, Harvey yeah. event here in Houston. Uh, so we we most recently supported uh, efforts to rebuild homes in uh, the the lower income areas here in Houston that were adversely affected uh, during during the flooding. You know, some of these houses had uh, water above the roof, and yeah. uh, that was uh, in in a total flip side a truly uh, shining uh, a city on a hill was private aviation and supporting uh, the search and recovery efforts when both the yeah. major airports here in town were effectively not operational due to flooding. Uh, private aviation was able to continue to operate at some airports that were high and dry and uh, was truly a lifeline. And uh, I think that was a, uh, a, a really uh, cool thing for people to see uh, at a very real level uh, what that means to a, a community uh, in times of need. So really cool. Nice. Well, that's neat. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that's important. I like that, you know, you, you do have to support locally as well. And, you know, you're right um, during the hurricanes and, you know, I'm talking to my friends that were down there, you know, sitting there messaging as they're watching the water rise and doing different things mm -hmm. along that and the, the ability, you know, business aviation is probably one of it, the worst about tooting its own horn when it comes to yeah. the support that they do give and they, they don't, it's not public and you know, they don't, they don't do a good job and there's so many great things that they do. And so that was really was a very good example. Them and the Cajun Navy. I love the Cajun Navy. Right. That's like one of my favorite stories everywhere. The Cajun Navy. They have a Facebook page, Andy. You'll got to look them up. I've seen videos of it. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> love it. But I mean, it's people coming together, but yeah. you know, that, that's, um, no, that's just admirable. It's also admirable that, you know, y'all put that right out there in the front. It's right there that that's part of what y'all do and what you believe in. Yeah. And I'll tell it. you something else about Cameron that he won't tell you. So oh, good. <laughs> he's nervous. Good. <laughs> no, but just like we talked with Jesse in our last episode, mm -hmm. right about giving back to the industry and, and, and making it better. Cameron and Corey both um, at Flight Level Partners are very active in the appraisal community from a from a um, ASA Houston chapter standpoint. In fact, oh. they both just got voluntold, uh, which is a Lee Brewster coin term. To uh, You're so, what 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 roles are you guys in? Just tell them real quick and and kind of what y'all are doing. So. Uh here locally in the Houston ASA chapter, which it, that's multidiscipline. Uh, so everybody, again, from real property, uh, art appraisers, really the gamut. Uh, and there's a pretty large act community here. Uh, I'm a uh, director with the uh, organization here at the local level. Uh, and, and Corey is a vice president. Um, so we're responsible for steering and guiding the, our organization over the next uh, year. And then I also was, uh, that was a real voluntold. I ran for uh, the international election for the ASA <laughs> a committee of appraisal review and management uh, people. So I will serve, um, I'll serve for three years on that one, which that was not disclosed, openly, <laughs> by the way. Uh, okay. So, uh, so in case you missed that, that's the international ASA appraiser review. That's a big deal. Yeah, I, I mean, that sounds that's, that's very cool. That's very and that's cool. over all disciplines, right? That That is over all disciplines. It's, okay. So it will be an appraisal review of kind of everybody. Um, and we, we will kind of set the standards of what that means at an organizational level. Mm -hmm. uh, but here locally, um, 
I'm really uh, blessed to have such an active community here in the Houston area. It's oh, a I bet you do. Chapter, um, and we put on some really incredible, uh, I mean, hundreds of people events, uh, a lot in the energy valuation space mm. uh, and similar. So it's a really cool group of, of people. And uh, we, I, I am obsessed with, um, I, mean, I think everyone thinks that we're obscure, the aircraft appraiser, but then you hear like, you know, the, these art appraisers that are uh, in the business of valuing art from, you know, like 1701 to 1703, right? And it's like, it's so cool, you know, uh -huh. so I get a lot of value out of that. And just hearing the stories that they bring of kind of how they approach it is, is shockingly applicable to, to our world as well. Because it just Absolutely. makes your mind work in different ways. No, yeah. that's, you know, I think that's great because I think perspectives a lot because, you know, it's very easy to get blinders on, um, you know, aviation, 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 but there's a lot of similarities regardless of where you go. I think um, right. you've, you've just shown that, but it's, no, that's neat. I bet you do have some very interesting appraisal stories from the Houston area. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking of, you know, what you have there. The, I mean, because you can have a little bit of everything, sure. everything. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not just one one industry that's there. So, I bet those are some interesting, fun meetings, especially after a couple of drinks. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. So you've it's been told. It's pretty open. It's pretty open. <laughs> oh, so it's just yeah. true. It's just there. No. Well, do you, uh, Lee or Andy, y'all have any other questions for Cameron before we let him go? No, I think that was great. It was very informative. Yeah, I, uh, love it. Well, well, well okay. I, I, well, I do. Cameron's a wealth of knowledge. I mean, he really is. No doubt. And so is Corey. I, I, I mean, these guys got it wired. So what's up, Lee? Tomorrow, so I have two things. Two things. One. <laughs> I think it's really cool that you and um, Corey both went to West Texas A&M. I think that's really cool. Um, you know, usually we're like surrounded by everybody. They went to Riddle and that's it. And so, right. you're, so when you see somebody who didn't even go to an aviation school that's doing something that's so um, so impressive, I think that's really cool. Um, my kids right. just went out and saw that campus. I don't know if they're going to go out there, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, that's really neat. But also just kind of as a partying and to, to finish, kind of wrap this up, what are just, if you could give somebody out there, let's say wait, two different audiences. One, for somebody who's looking to buy, what's your top tip for somebody who's looking to buy? And two, for somebody who's in a flight department, what is the top tip you can give them to start um, be acting in a proactive manner towards their aircraft value? Ooh. Those are great oh. questions. Those are great questions. You should questions. have led with those, Bruce. <laughs> no, no, I want to end up. You know, I let him, let him drink, get loosened up a little right. bit. Get, right. get to those. Yeah. Um, so from an aircraft buyer, I would say my number one tip is just take a breath, take it slow and look at the numbers. Uh, it doesn't matter who you're working with, challenge them to work with you, uh, and to really be process oriented with how you're approaching mm. your purchase, um, or sale for that matter. Um, make them okay. show you the numbers and be, uh, take an active role in what that looks like for you. Don't just take things at face value, ask why. Uh, and I think that to me is such a, a big barrier for people because um, the, our clients are extremely successful, well-versed people. And oftentimes they can feel like they, they don't know this industry. They're not, you know, they're uncomfortable. It's a really large barrier of knowledge. Ask why. Uh, typically we're all really excited to talk about it. And if they're not able to provide you with an answer, that might be telling also. Mm. So just right. take it slow uh, and, and ask the right questions. Um, and if all else fails, go to a go to a, a, a an expert and uh, ask ask them. Um, for a fleet, um, I think we've we've really touched on it already. I think um, a lot of fleet operators, uh, like I said, I, I truly believe there's been a much greater focus, um, especially I think after 08 on really fixating on uh, <laughs> tracking the assets over their life cycle. Uh, so just continuing to make that a really critical aspect, um, you know, regardless if this is a, a, a private owned fleet or if it's the, the operator owns, uh, being mm -hmm. able to track the portfolio over the life cycle uh, and watching some of these key events and having someone that is in the knowledge base uh, that's able to uh, watch out for, for trends that may be of, of adverse uh, interest to, to these people. Uh, mm. just to, to have that in the, in the back of their heads uh, throughout the life cycle is, is really critical uh, because what we don't ever want to see, uh, which happens all, far too often, is that we're, we're caught at the last second uh, and 
and then they're calling, you know, Nathan and I saying, you know, we needed to do something with this airplane. And it was, you know, yeah. it was too late. Right. Yeah. So yeah. just taking again and just, it's all about taking an active role and, and relying on the, on the experts that, uh, that are ultimately, that's what we're here to do. Awesome. 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 Awesome stuff. Well, Cameron, I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight and sharing all your wonderful knowledge and what you guys are doing. And, and uh, please give my regards to Corey when you talk to him. I haven't well, chatted with him or seen him in quite some time. So um, please tell him hello. Um, so to the listeners, you guys have been giving us great feedback. Um, we've gotten lots of DMs, emails, and um, one voice message. So you can leave <laughs> us a voice message on anchor.fm forward slash jet hyphen blast there's a, a little bus button up there that says leave message and it actually will leave us a voice message so you can um talk to uh andy about his uh syndrome hairdo or you know um uh, find uh, find out about uh, you know what our next upcoming episode is but um i you know i think i would ask that y'all keep the uh keep the questions and comments coming and in the show notes for this is going to be a link to uh, Flight Level Partners and also to uh, Cameron's LinkedIn page as well as, as um, Corey Dwitz as well. So um, you can reach out to them if you need any information about aircraft appraisals or need the service done or just have a question in general. I'm sure that Cameron or Corey, either one, would be happy to help you. Um, anything for us, Cameron, before we blast off this has been so fun uh, i truly appreciate you uh including me and i'm a big fan of the podcast i think y'all are so fun yeah. i'm, I'm so serious uh, i think y'all's dynamic is awesome i think you ask all the right questions i think you're doing a great job so this has been well, a, thank a you very true much. pleasure well thank That's you cameron appreciate it thank you very kind much yeah thank you Nathan, awesome. for paying him to say that i appreciate it <laughs> i did not pay him to say that sure I, I compliance sure sure <laughs> right. but that's okay i'll take it thank y'all